0: welcome into the locked on bengals podcast this is actually a crossover on a wednesday maybe you're listening on a thursday if so happy thanksgiving it's locked on bengals locked on browns i'm james erpine along with jeff lloyd here to talk all things bengals browns jeff i appreciate the time this is our first time actually chatting on a podcast i'm excited
1: Yes, it is. Um, you know, it's it, you know, funny, you know, meeting so late in the year here. Obviously, you know, two meetings over, you know, the next six games here between the Browns and the Bengals. Um, two franchises, you know, one on the up, one right now at 5-5, five and five, and your Bengals, you know, kind of figuring out which way this season is going to go for them. A uh, you know, lot of fun storylines between the rivalry. Uh, <laughs> an old friend of Cincinnati is back in Cincinnati. We'll get to all that. And, of course, everybody, uh, you know, look, I mean, Thanksgiving week, why not wrap it off on Sunday? with a nice old rivalry of uh, Bengals and Cleveland Browns. I mean, j- it's just a fun week ahead. And, I mean, you know, for me, Thanksgiving, I get to go to two separate houses. I get two separate meals, <laughs> three football games now on the docket. Just a fun, fun stretch of four days coming up here.
0: No doubt about that. By the way, you could follow if you're uh, looking for Locked on Bengals on Twitter at Locked on Bengals at James Erpine, and, and where can listeners find you at, Jeff?
1: Obviously, you know, D Locked On Brown's Twitter account. We always keep that, everybody, a follow back account. It's the best way for me to interact with the fans. I've gotten great show ideas. I've actually gotten some guests, to, some really big guests, to come onto the show through fan interaction. So I keep that a follow back. My personal Twitter, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Um, you know, a lot of football there. You're going to get some dad moments, uh, pictures of my daughters, things like that. You're going to get some food and a Friday night picture of my beers or whatever like that. But uh, you know, just like to keep it, you know, keep it fun there and try to keep it locked on rounds more just strictly social to the game and the team.
0: Yeah, I will be having plenty of beers tomorrow on Thanksgiving, no doubt about that. Beers, mixed drinks, etc. It's going to be a fun day. Um, let's dive into this. You mentioned the rivalry. You mentioned. Uh, you mentioned uh, an old friend returning to Cincinnati he's he's he was a foe when he was up there and he, he's a foe now Hugh Jackson is back in Cincinnati uh, assistant to to Marvin Lewis I I kind of think that this is overrated I'm not sure with all the tape out there and everything that that these coaches can do and break down how much can you really help and how much insight can he actually give the bengals in this matchup
1: well, it's certainly interesting, and like we were talking a little bit before the show, um, over the last two weeks, Brashard Perriman, obviously you know, he's labeled as this colossal NFL bust. Um, Freddie Kitchens has decided to put him into the rotation and see what he's got. Um, look, he's not killing it by any stretch of the imagination, but over the last two weeks he does have more total yardage from scrimmage than Jarvis Landry does. Um, Freddie Kitchens himself, uh, you know, he was a guy that was very way down on the staff when Hugh was let go and when Todd Haley was let go um the offense the offense looked really good the last two weeks put over over 20 points obviously the chiefs falcons neither one of them are dominant defenses which we saw monday night from this Chiefs defense but still this is a young team and now they saw two weeks in a row they're putting up over 20 points a game but then you go to the falcons game where they led the game pretty much from the beginning of the second quarter and just went ahead and closed it out young guys you know gaining confidence um baker mayfield uses pretty much you know if you want to say you know like the like the artist who holds all his paint, he's using every part of the palette. Every wide receiver is getting a little bit of look. Obviously now Duke Johnson all of a sudden had a witness protection program <laughs> getting into the you know, rotation again. Nick Chubb has turned out to be an excellent selection. So, I mean, he was just – he was seeing some guys play that weren't playing under him. I mean, I don't know what he's going to offer there. I mean, obviously he can give you mannerisms and, oh, this is the type of route this guy kind of likes. But even still, there was talk, and it's been leaked out now in the spring and such. When Todd Haley was doing the extra work with the guys installing the offense, Hugh Jackson was not attending those meetings. So, I mean, there's some he can offer. But what we've seen the last two weeks from Freddie Kitchens, I don't think there's much he can offer other than just what he sees on tape, just like anybody else in that Cincinnati Bengal, you know, headquarters is looking at. And it, you know, it's a totally different offense the last two weeks than anything that had been run in the time that Hugh Jackson was in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, I, I think that in the, the thing that. Might be the biggest here, and I know motivation. Both teams should be motivated. The Bengals, their season's on the line. The Browns, still trying to prove themselves and battle back in it. Coming off of a bye, they should be, play well at Paul Brown Stadium on Sunday. But, but I think if anything, if you're the Browns, I know bulletin board material that can be overrated as well. But your old head coach is now it, it went across the you know three hours south to, to a division rival, went back home to Cincinnati as people have been deeming it. That that to me. If I'm a Browns player, I'd be pissed off and I'd want to show him that you know that, that he made the mistakes and he didn't put us in a position and that he's the one who was wrong and uh, and go beat him. I think that there's a little motivation there.
1: There's a lot of motivation there, and it, this started after the, after the Charger loss. You know, I'm talking to some guys who were in the building. they be beat writers, guys who covered the team. You know, Miles Garrett was out the door quickly. Jabril Peppers was out the door quickly. These guys were not happy. Uh, then the Tampa game came. They should have won the Tampa game. They could have gotten a field goal right before halftime. They didn't. Um, A fourth and one play from the goal line. You had Nick Chubb in his first start. Looked outstanding. They ran a QB sneak with Baker Mayfield. A lot of people are like, oh, man, I can't believe we lost to a 58-yard field goal in overtime. Well, no. If you had gotten the field goal at the end of the first half, or you had ran Nick Chubb on fourth and inches at the goal line, you would have never been in overtime. So and then that and then they went into Pittsburgh. Absolutely, just laid an egg. It, it, it was time for everything to change. And look, these guys are motivated. They like what they're doing. Greg Williams, it, it, as much as his reputation as it is in the league, and it's not all you know. Very, it's not really good. And in, in, as far as a lot of NFL teams are concerned, I think these young guys kind of like the fact that Greg carries a little bit of an outlaw image. So they know what they're dealing with. And that's the thing with Greg Williams. He's not going to BS you on anything. He's straight up honest. You may not like what he's going to tell you, but he's honest about it. And these guys, young guys, the more and more, these guys, the way they go through college and all the ball they play in high school and the sevens on sevens, they want the honesty. They can deal with that what they can't deal with is the deception because then you end up in a position of who do I trust? Who can I trust? Things of that nature. Right now, they're all on one page. And I mean, I've even been joking, you know, there's going to come a point somewhere where somebody's going to get near that sideline. And if you remember, remember the Titans with the Gary Bertier pointing at the opposing coach, Somebody's going to be staring Hugh down when they make a play on that sideline and let them know, Hey, look, you may have held this all back here, but look, it's all about the greater good now. And you know, positive and moving on upward in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, I I think that that dynamic is so interesting, and it was the most um, easy, easily predicted thing ever. I, I came on, the, the Hugh News was announced at, I don't know, it was broke by, I think it was Adam Schefter was the first one on it, like 11.30 or so Eastern time when he got fired back in October. And I went on at noon discussing how he could return here to Cincinnati because it just seemed like a foregone conclusion that it was going to happen. And he went on that media tour, and he comes back, and it's just, I don't know how much he can help. And it really feels like, and this is, I know my listeners will be very interested in this, and your listeners have probably complained for the past two and a half years. It's It feels like Hugh Jackson's going to replace Marvin Lewis as head coach of the Bengals. It feels like that's a foregone conclusion. What are they getting if Hugh Jackson is the next coach of the Bengals?
1: Well, I mean, if you're going to base it off what we saw for two and a half years at Cleveland, it's tough. And, and this is one of the things that drives me nuts about some of these franchises in the NFL. They just refuse to change their ways. Look, you can't just go to the store and pick up a Sean McVay. Everybody would if you could. But when you just, you know, you know it's basically you, all right, we're going to get rid of vanilla and we're going to go with vanilla light. Like they don't change what wasn't working. They just change the person what wasn't working with, but bring in the same type of person and got, try to go and stray the same course. Hugh Jackson isn't much different than Marvin Lewis. He can kind of keep you around. Granted, he doesn't have the record of the success Marvin did at some times. But if you want to give the job to Hugh Jackson, that's great. But Andy Dalton, who's a guy who's shown there's times where he can be really good. There's times where he holds the team back. We, you know, Hugh Jackson, who's run over pretty much any player that it didn't work out for, you know, almost basically buried and killed Deshaun, Deshaun Kaiser's career as a 21-year-old rookie. Hugh is never the one to take the blame and take the onus on himself. And even in one of these interviews, oh, well, maybe the offense wasn't there yet because Baker wasn't what we expected yet. And then you see what Baker did the last two weeks. If he wants to be successful in this league, he's got to learn at the end of the day, it's his head that's on the line. And that was the mistake I had with in disagreement I had with them bringing him back after 1-31. He just can't. It's 1-31. It was just that bad. And, you know, you could improve the product, but sometimes improving the product, it's just going to show the deficiencies that the head coach had even more. Um, and the Bengals are in a, in a tough spot right now. I mean, you've got some talent. You've got a question mark. You know, are we going to continue to run with Andy Dalton here? Uh, you've got a guy like A.J. Green, who, you know, now getting towards the prime, you know, prime later on in his career. Is, is he being wasted in, you know, non-playoff seasons and things of that nature? I, I just, just Hugh, the guy, is a guy that makes – I just don't know if I can trust him because you've got to understand that it, it's your name on this product. And that's where Hugh kind of backed away a lot in the things, oh, i got to watch the tape and, oh, well, why didn't you call a timeout there But before the second half to rest your defense so that, you know, you didn't give up a score right before half. I didn't really think about that at the time. Things of that nature just drive you crazy because now with everything, these guys are all – these coaches are all over everything. What are my timeouts? What can I do? How can I help here? How can I help there? And Hugh Jackson just was not that type of head coach. A little bit too old school in his thinking for this modern day of the NFL.
0: This is the Locked On Browns, Locked On Bengals podcast. Jeff Lloyd, James Irvine with you. Yeah, I, I've i complained a lot about Marvin Lewis. Um, and really, you watch Monday Night Football, and you see the, the, the offenses and how innovative these coaches are. You watch Matt Nagy, and I think as a Browns fan, it has to be exciting because it seems like you have your quarterback now. You're going to have, hopefully, a a well-thought-out, well-in-depth head coaching search to find the next Matt Nagy, to find the next offensive mind, or just really high-end head coach here. And if you do that in today's NFL, and you have your quarterback, everything else is history. I think you're going to be successful. So I I think, as a Browns fan right now, they're trending up in the Bengals. While I do think they still have a chance at the playoffs— Certainly trending downward with a coach. Get this, Jeff. Marvin Lewis was hired in 2003. I was 12 years old when he was hired as Bengals head coach. He's still here. <laughs> I,
1: I, wa- I, wasn't, I wasn't even married. I have now celebrated my 14th wedding anniversary. <laughs> my oldest daughter is going to be 12 on Saturday. That's how long Marvin Lewis has been there. And look, Marvin Lewis was good in the beginning. Um, but the other thing, though, is even if you're going to change the head coach right now for the Cincinnati Bengals... You're going to go sell this product. And this is one of the reasons the Browns didn't do it last year. How were you going to sell that product to a head coach last January, last February? What were you selling? What was your selling point? Mm-hmm. We got Miles Garrett. We got a couple <laughs> of defensive players. Beyond that, but now here's the thing. you know. Okay, well, you know, we have Andy Dalton and you know, every, any head coach. Huh. Uh, huh. You know, Do I really want to be a head coach? Or do I want to be a head coach where I know, man, this job is so good, it looks so primed to be successful, you know, it, it, this is a great opportunity. Or, man, am I going to be looking for work again in 20 months? So that's the tough sell of it right now with this Bengals franchise. I mean, there is a, you know, you've got a lot, you know, uh, def- defensively the secondary. Obviously, you know, you've got some pass rushers on a defensive line. You know, uh, you, you, Malik Je- Jefferson, a younger linebacker who should be playing more. There's some pieces there. But if you're going to sell a head coaching position, usually the biggest sell is who you've got under center.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. And let let's uh let's continue. We'll take a quick time out, talk about who the Browns have under center, who the Bengals have under center, and uh start to dive into the nuts and bolts of this game. This is the Locked On Bengals and Locked On Browns podcast. Jeff, I remember I think back to draft night and the Browns they go with um, they go with Baker Mayfield first overall, which I was so excited about. I thought it was the right decision, even though ESPN was pushing Sam Darnold. And I, I think Sam Darnold might be a good quarterback. But it just seems like Baker w- was the best of all of them. And he's got the it factor. And I think the it factor matters, especially when you have the talent. I think he has both. And then they go get Denzel Ward. I like that pick, too. I, th- I thought it made a lot of sense. That was the one that got a lot of criticism. Both players, though, showing their promise. I mean, I look at that Browns draft. And I know Corbett it has, it hasn't played much yet, but I mean, you have Chubb, you have Mayfield, you have Ward. They nailed the draft in April, didn't they?
1: They did very well. And we're not even bringing up a guy like Gennard Avery, who they got in the fifth round. A lot of people had him as almost a top 75, top 80 player. The thing was, is you didn't understand. You know, some people viewed him as a traditional linebacker, the, the Browns viewed him more as here's a guy like an Elvis Doomerville, a little bit smaller defensive end. But gets the job done there, and I think that's eventually where his home is going to be. The ward selection over Bradley Chubb, you already had Miles Garrett. Exactly. You know, he, he is elite. He is that good. Cornerbacks, you had, you brought in a bunch of veterans, but they who are who they were. EJ Gaines was a good player, forever hurt. EJ Gaines right now, sadly, two concussions within like an 18 day period out for the season. You know, so EJ Gaines remained the guy that you had the question marks about whether or not his durability was going to hold up. Terrence Mitchell was a good signing. I mean, he, for when he played the first three games, I'm sorry, first four games, was creating turnovers. You get that out of your number two cornerback, that's gold. But I think they just said, you want to know what? We need the number one guy. We'll let everything else fill in out for there. But the other thing was it was setting up you know, your levels of your defense. You had your dominant defensive lineman in Miles Garrett, Larry Ogunjobi, no slouch either, uh, Joe Schobert. One of the most underrated players in the NFL. The time he was injured here for Cleveland, it showed massively. Uh, you know, not an all-world athlete, but he will do his assignment, and he will do it to the absolute letter. Fantastic guy. I tell everybody, if you were going to draft guys individually from the Browns defense, Joe Schobert would go 4th, 5th, maybe 6th. But he is the most important person. Everybody is in line where they need to be because of Joe Schober. But now you add Denzel Ward to that secondary, and you've got meat at each part of your defensive you know, the line, the linebacking crew, and the secondary. The Demarius Randall trade was fantastic. He's been fantastic as a free safety. There's also been some games where he's played corner. They use him against bigger guys. I mean, if A.J. Green does play Sunday, I wouldn't be shocked if you see him, you know, at some reps with A.J. Green. They like to let these big receivers kind of just get what they're going to get. Uh, Mike Evans went for, you know, I think he went for like seven or eight for like 112. Didn't score a touchdown. Randall does a nice job of just keeping those guys in front of him and not giving up the big, big play. So you could see some reps there. But they've got meat now at all their positional groups, some really good guys. And and now you just go in and you you just find and fill a couple of holes. It's not like going to Costco anymore. Now they can just run to the market and grab a couple of things in the offseason.
0: Yeah, and that to me... It's something I've been very critical of uh, of the Bengals is is not being aggressive. I think aggressive wins in the NFL and and going out and going to the market when you have a need, going out and making a trade when you know AJ Green's injured and you don't know how serious it is and you don't really trust John Ross yet and there's no one really outside of Tyler Boyd that the offense and Andy Dalton trusts. Here's here's what I think is interesting though is Andy the Bengals are some some have said. They're stuck in quarterback purgatory, and I remember that a couple years ago. Someone brought that up, and it's it's really true when they don't have A.J. Green. Like, if they don't have A.J. Green on Sunday, and I'll know more later this week and I, maybe later today, depending. I do think he's going to play, but who knows. But if A.J. Green doesn't play, I'm picking the Browns to win. And that, to me, cannot be the case if you have a quarterback who's 30 years old, who's been to a Pro Bowls, and and he was one of the alternates and ended up being a Pro Bowler. But still, he's a Pro Bowl quarterback. And and if he really is a, a true franchise quarterback, he should be able to win without A.J. Green. And I can't trust him to do that. And when you have an organization that's not aggressive and going to address issues and you have a quarterback that's... Comes up short, and you have an offense that isn't overly innovative, in and in a league where offenses are innovative, it's just been the perfect storm where where the Bengals went from four and one to five and five. And without AJ Green on Sunday, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm I'm picking the Browns if Green doesn't play.
1: Uh, if AJ Green were to play this game and it were in Cleveland, I think I would take Cleveland regardless. I just love the energy that's come out the the, the last two weeks, the bye week. Uh, You know, these guys were good, hanging out together. Uh, They've been doing, you know, the good community things this week with it being Thanksgiving, going, handing out meals, big smiles. These guys, these aren't token smiles. These guys are truly enjoying it. I mean, they understand the Cavaliers are in a tough place. The Indians, you know, might be, you know, moving on from some talent. And they understand that they might be the hot ticket right now in Cleveland. And a lot of that happens, obviously, when you have your quarterback. It's just fun to see where they're at. Look, AJ Green is just creates a big, big issue. You know, there's only five or six guys in the league where you look over and you say, "All right, well, if he's playing and that's that wide receiver, that changes the entire game plan." And but AJ Green does provide you know, a lot more easier opportunities for everybody else on that team. And like you said with Andy Dalton, though, you know, he's had his shot and gotten in the playoffs. It's not worked out there. And quarterback purgatory is one thing. I mean, but, And, you know, like he kind of, similar to the Giants, granted Eli and they, they've won two Super Bowls, but it's like, is he just good enough right now or do we need somebody who's you know better or, or, or younger or just ready? I mean, are we just, you know, kind of frolicking along the highway here or are we full guns ablazing? blazing? And, you know, that's what you get with some of these franchises and the Bengals have been notorious for this, you know. Did you need to make a move? Did you maybe need to trigger something? Maybe so. And even still, if you brought in Amari Cooper or went some big splash thing to try to win now, at least your fan base is excited and they're mm-hmm. juiced for it. Just uh, you know, well, hopefully AJ Green will be back, and then we'll figure it out where he is. He doesn't play; they lose. They're five and six. You got five games to go. What do you maybe need to win? Three, four to get in the playoffs. It just puts your team in a tough spot doing that. They're doing business the way they do.
0: Yeah, it, it and it, they. I think they have to win four. And since they lost at Baltimore. I, I think at Pittsburgh's already a loss. I think at the, the Chargers is a loss. So you have to win at Cleveland. You have to sweep the Browns. Like that That's the path to the playoffs, and that's so much easier said than done, especially when you have Baker Mayfield, who I, I love his game. And when he came in for Tyrod Taylor on Thursday night football, and he, he delivered, and it, it was just, it was such a, a fun game to watch. I'm not going to pretend and act like I've watched every single Baker May, Mayfield snap this season. I haven't, but... What have you seen from him? Is he been as advertised? From afar, it seems like it. But uh, what are your impressions of Baker Mayfield?
1: Well, that was the thing. Because, I mean, li- we literally, uh, I'd say by Halloween last year, we talked quarterbacks. I mean, I was doing one draft show per week, and it was <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold. And we talked the death out of this. Uh, most of the guys I had on it- and felt Baker Mayfield was the best quarterback in this draft. You know, but, you know, some people also felt that 23, that put him there, obviously, with everybody else, that they were all 21. And this was one of the things that it came out, why they decided to go with Baker Mayfield was a little bit older, a little bit more wiser. And Baker Mayfield didn't care that the Browns were no good. He didn't care that they were one in 31. The more he looked at it, the more he said, all right, let's go. It sounds to me like you need to change this and I'm going to do it. And, you know, and also, you know, John Dorsey kind of, there were some whispers. We drafted the guy who could maybe handle the dysfunction the best. And Baker did. And I think he realized, you know, once he became the starting quarterback that, wow, this, this isn't going well. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some changes made. And now that the changes were made, he's just, I mean, once he got on to the field as a quarterback in Cleveland Browns, he wasn't just the best quarterback. He was the best player on offense. And it's, he is doing everything he can ask Look, every now and then there's a mistake. There's a hiccup. Look, there's going to be. He's had a game or two where he's like, oh, you know, some throws. And he's got to learn to take a little bit more of the easier throws. It's not going to be like college where you can just say, all right, you know what? That's open. But I, I, I feel good about getting a 45-yard gain here. He's got to learn that sometimes six, seven yards completion is still a win at the end of the day. And that's going to change. You know, obviously he's going to get that as he goes on and on. But as far as everything he's done, you know, and everybody rallies to him, people just gravitate to him, he's got that personality. And the other thing is he puts in the work. And that's what you respect and that's what you want when a guy your quarterback opens his mouth. Everybody else in that locker room wants to be in, look at him and say, All right, well if he's doing it, everything needs to be done. We're gonna listen. We're no slacking here, everybody on the same page, day in, day out, put in your work.
0: Yeah, it's it's been fun to to watch him when I've gotten the opportunity to, and I think uh The future of Browns football is in good hands with Baker Mayfield. I'm James Erpine. He's Jeffrey Lloyd. This is a Locked On, Bengals-Locked On, Browns crossover. We'll continue the conversation next here on the Locked On, Bengals and Browns podcast. Jeff, the Bengals defense last week gave up 265 yards to Lamar Jackson, a, a, a guy by the name of Gus, who no one ever heard of, and Gus Edwards, and now everyone's flocking to the waiver wire in their fantasy Rutgers. leagues. That's right. That's Rutgers. Right. But Rutgers, that, baby. You knew him? You knew him? Because I, I don't think many people did. I, knew, <laughs> I
1: i tell you what. I knew of him. I, I, I knew. He, I, I, I thought he was on a practice squad in Baltimore. I had no idea. And then I was like, oh, my God, Gus Edwards? And I'll tell you right now, he barely played at Rutgers, too. Sometimes you get those <laughs> weird running backs. You just, you know, yeah. like, I mean, he'll never have maybe the career of a priest Holmes, but a guy that was out of school, never really did much, gets his chance to shine. And that's kind of what happened with Mr. Gus Edwards.
0: Yeah, it it did. And it's embarrassing. If you're defensive, new defensive coordinator, yes, Marvin it Lewis, Lamar Jackson, it, it was given, it was a given that they're going to try to beat you with Lamar Jackson's legs and the rushing attack. And they did so. So looking ahead to this game. I think Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson, and it's not close. I think Nick Chubb is better than Mr. Gus. So if I'm the Browns' offense, I'm excited for this matchup.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, Nick Chubb here, he's gotten a lot of work lately, but now we're coming off the bye. Um, they finally finally decided to use Duke Johnson some more. Um, and this is even the fun thing that Freddie Kitchens has done here. Um, uh, the Atlanta game, he ran a series where he ran three or four plays in a row out of the wishbone set. Just doing some different things, and look, that's what keeps young guys engaged. And you know, when you're going to your third tailback and say, "No, no, no," you're out there too. All three is, and you're just trying to do some fun stuff, keeping everybody involved. Um, you know, that's stuff you like to see. And there's a good shot you're going to see some crazy stuff again this week. Uh, what was it? Monday Night Football. I think we saw somebody running the T formation. Just you know, have a little fun, and everybody gets into it. It also gives everybody a chance to feel like they're contributing. Um, I do feel really good about it, Nick Chubb. You know, rela- you know, relaxed, fresh now. You know, he should get his 20 to 25. He's starting to find his way as a, with a role in the receiving game. Caught a touchdown pass against Atlanta. I think he had three catches for almost 30 yards. Finding a way to show to be a true, proven number one back. But you still got Duke Johnson, who's incredible in his role as a receiver and an outside stretch runner. You know, toss plays, stuff like that, where he excels. So it's going to be fun. I do like the matchup. Um, you know, Obviously, a Carl Lawson after Cincinnati, that makes things a little bit easier. I am a little bit concerned still about the tackle play. There's times where these guys just you know, aren't competent. Greg Robinson has played better than Desmond Harrison, but that by no means means he's been playing adequate at the left tackle <laughs> position. Chris Hubbard, I think right now it looks like Chris Hubbard did just enough in a limited role with Pittsburgh to fool somebody into giving him a bigger contract. Um, he's you know maybe about 290 on a good day. Maybe he will be 290 Sunday after Thanksgiving. But he's been having a rough, rough season at the right tackle. Interior offensive line for the Browns has been fantastic. The tackle play is it's 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 not even been average on either side by any of the three guys who have played.
0: Yeah, and that that would be going into this game. Obviously, I think that the Bengals are vulnerable. They've lost four of five. I also think. It's a must win for them. You get to five and six, you're not making the playoffs. So there's a lot of pressure here on them to get the win. And I think that it should be a really good game. I know I've leaned and in, in, in kind of ripped on the Bengals a lot during this podcast. But at the same time, Andy Dalton back against the wall. He should respond, right? I would assume that this offense would find a way to score semi-consistently. They only had one really long drive last week against Baltimore. That cannot be the case on Sunday, and, and I, I think it, it'll be very interesting. You're right. The Bengals' defense has struggled, and it's probably the biggest surprise all season uh, of this year, to get pressure. So can they get after the the Browns' tackles? Can Carlos Dunlap get after it? Can Geno Atkins, maybe up the middle, get after it? If so, then I think they have a good shot. Obviously, you got Sam Hubbard. you got others there that can help pressure. Carl Lawson being out is a huge loss if they can get some pressure on Baker Mayfield, I think that's their really their only shot because they can't stop anyone. They can't stop Chubb straight up. So unless they're going to get pressure and kind of disrupt things at the line of scrimmage, I don't really know defensively how they're going to contain the Browns consistently.
1: Yeah, and that's where Kitchen's been good. He's been trying to make things quicker. He's been you know, rolling Baker out a little bit to offset for the deficiencies of the offensive tackle play. But, you know, look, this Bengals defense, if you go through it man by man, it's a nice group. I mean, yeah. I love the secretary with Kirkpatrick, Sean Williams, Jackson, Jesse Bates, a young kid, just 21 years old, finding his way in this league. Uh, you mentioned Sam Hubbard. There's a lot of nice pieces on this defense. Um, the key would be for the Bengals offense is, they got it. If I'm the Bengals' offense, and, and I, I look, I know A.J. Green's important. You've got to try to way to find to run-the-ball against this Browns defense. It can be done, but the key is, up until the Atlanta game, where they were up big early, Greg Williams has not shown to rotate defensive line play. Larry Ogunjobi, Miles Garrett, these guys were taking an insane amount of reps. I mean, getting six, maybe seven plays off a game. So if you can run the ball and keep the game closer, even with a lead, Greg Williamson may go back to his tendency of just keeping these guys out there. And what do you do in that scenario? Keep running the ball. You know, power on them. Lean on them. You know, make each play a little bit harder. Don't give them every opportunity to pin their ears back. If they can run the ball successfully, and the Browns have showed at times, you know, the run game has given them some difficulties. Greg Williams may not rotate out these, you know, star defensive line players and then that's where you're going to you know you get into a problem and give yourself best where these guys are tired and you have the upper hand. But in the Falcon game they got up early. Uh, Miles Garrett I think played 60% of the snaps, Ogan Joeby 60%. Some of the reserve defensive line players one was up into the 30s in reps. So we'll see, I mean this game and the flow of it could be decided very early by which team, you know, any team gets up by maybe you know 7 even 10 points, it could dictate how Each team plays this game and handles the final 40, you know, 35, 40 minutes of the game.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And and with that, let's uh, – all right to give a prediction? Is that all right? Can I ask you for a prediction, or is it too soon? No,
1: I mean, we'll give – it. I mean, for the Browns, I mean, it's (laughs) – I mean, we know who's there. We know who's not there. I mean, they're actually pretty healthy after the bye. I mean, they have a couple of guys on our designated to return, but nobody would be coming back this week. I think a lot of it does come down to A.J. Green. Um, I'd feel a lot more confident for the Browns if this game was actually home, but they are. I mean, they're riding a wave right now. They are. And, and I do see your point of, you know, Bengals up, back up against the wall. Andy Dalton, the established veteran. I mean, now, I mean, it's not just back up against the wall for the season, it's back up against the wall for the head coach. It's back up against the wall for maybe Andy Dalton's career in Cincinnati. Uh, I think we can stick with it. I think it could still be a close game, but, you know, I never like to give, like, you know, normal scores. If you wanted to say Cincinnati pulls out 22 to 19, I could understand it, but you're going to get another 60 minute effort from this young Cleveland Browns roster, which has kind of been the case here from eight out of the first 10 games. Now, these guys are going to go bell to bell. They understand that, but if it wasn't in Cincinnati, I'd feel a little bit better. Um, but I, I, just don't, I say, you know, Bengals by three, you know, close game though, throughout the 60 minutes.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. And AJ Green is a big factor in this. I think he's going to return. I think this Bengals team, this is a game they have to have. And it, I think they're going to get it. I, I think ultimately these two teams split. I have the Bengals losing to Cleveland up there, uh, as of now, maybe they'll they'll show me something over the next couple of weeks that changes my mind, but as of now I can't see them sweeping the Browns, which I think they need to do, but uh, I do think they handle business Sunday. I do think it's going to be close though. The Bengals aren't good enough, one, to blow anybody out, even if they're a bad team and the Browns certainly aren't a bad team. I think they're they're trending upward and it'll be interesting to see, um, how they fare for the rest of the season. He's Jeff Lloyd. I'm James Irvine. This is a locked on Browns, locked on Bengals crossover. Real quick, Jeff, uh, Any parting words at the end of this podcast?
1: I just want to wish everybody, you know, obviously a happy Thanksgiving, um, guys. uh, For my Lockdown Browns listeners, Uh, we're going to have Dan Hope, who covers Ohio State, uh, we'll get you a next nice preview on Ohio State-Michigan, I understand. Obviously, part of this big weekend, which just makes it all the more better, Bengals-Browns Sunday, Thanksgiving tomorrow. And to all my Locked On Browns listeners, I, I hope you enjoyed James. Um, he is about to come to 92.3, the fan, here in Cleveland. You're going to get some excellent Indians coverage. You're going to get uh, somebody else here giving you some strong Cavaliers coverage. And like I told you guys with Chris Manning, who does Locked On Cavs, I understand where you guys are with the Cavaliers These are the same things I was going through a calendar year ago with these Cleveland Browns. Just have some faith, you know, stay the course. you got some young talent. Hopefully they develop, and then everything can start to fall in place. But my Cleveland fans, guys, welcome James. uh, He's going to be here soon.
0: Awesome. Jeff, I appreciate that. I certainly appreciate the kind words. I'm excited. And to the Locked On Bengals listeners, I will still be – doing locked on Bengals for the rest of this season. So if they get into the playoffs, maybe we can extend it a little bit. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening to these uh, this podcast, a crossover edition. Jeff, I appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Everybody, have a happy Thanksgiving.